Let me just read you a few scriptures. John 14, 30. I will not speak to you much more, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has nothing in me, no hold on me. I want you to notice something before I get into this. It says, Jesus was speaking to his disciples, said, I will speak to you, I will not speak to you much more, for the ruler of this world is coming. So Jesus was discerning like a spiritual battle that was beginning. He was discerning that the enemy was beginning to show up. But he said this, and I want you to really remember this, because this is what the premise of this whole sermon is going to be on. He said, Satan may be coming, but he has nothing in me. Now that's a very key phrase. And this is where I'm going to be going with this. Jesus said, Satan has nothing in me, and so therefore we can conclude that there's no way that Satan could get a hold on Jesus. Do you see what I'm saying? Some translate that as has nothing in me. Some translate it have no hold on me. But I believe both of it works because when Satan has nothing in you, he's not going to be able to put a hold on you. Okay, that's where we're going. Now, we've had a deliverance ministry and all that for years. We preach a lot on revival and souls and the harvest, but we've had a lot of time to minister and pray with people about being set free. Different things like generational or from the past, whatever you've opened yourself up to, we've had all of that. This is a little bit different. This is an area where the Lord does a deep purification on the inside. And because of the purification God does on the inside, it dissolves the enemy's power over your life. So that's where I'm going with this. Let me read you a few more scriptures, Colossians 3, 3. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. How many want a life that's hidden in Christ? That comes from Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. That is the key. The crucifixion process is not something that in any way is fun or enjoyable, but it is necessary. Let me read to you a few things that God, I really like these. I want you to try to follow along. And you may want to take these, these notes home and read back over them. But listen to this. It says, we are not trapped in darkness if we have been born in the light. But if we tolerate darkness through tolerance of sin, we leave ourselves vulnerable for satanic assault. For wherever there is willful disobedience to the word of God, there is spiritual darkness and the potential for demonic activity. Jesus warned us to take heed, therefore, that the light which is in you is not darkness. There is a light in Christians. The spirit of man is the lamp of the Lord, the Bible says. Your spirit, illuminated by the spirit of Christ, becomes the lamp of the Lord. But we must guard that light, that it not become darkness. Let us recognize and beware that before engaging in spiritual warfare, that the areas that we hide in darkness are the very areas of our future defeat. Now that was good. Let us recognize and be aware that before engaging in any spiritual warfare at all, that the areas that we hide in darkness and don't deal with are the very areas of our future defeat. Now this is interesting. Our outer sinful nature is like a husk that must die and be removed 
to facilitate the breaking forth of the wheat-like nature of the born-again man in Christ. So in many ways, that outer shell, as you're crucified with Christ and God is beginning a process of deeply sanctifying and purifying you, that outer shell is like a husk that is being broken and removed so that the Christ nature in you is beginning to come forth. Now, this is another interesting statement. It says, both the chaff and the husk seem necessary at first as they provide protection for us from the harsh elements of this life. But before God can truly use us, in one way or another, we will pass through a time of threshing where the chaff and the husk is removed and we become broken, humble, and transparent. This can be a painful process in seeing yourself in the light of the truth, a wilderness time and a personal crucifixion complete usually with a Judas betrayal. But as that is happening, it's removing off of you that old husk of the sinful nature, that old husk of what you were. So that Christ can begin to come out and be seen. This is the last thing I'm going to read and I'm going to get into this sermon. It says, When the Holy Spirit highlights within us an area that needs repentance, we must overcome the prideful instinct to defend ourselves. We must silence the little lawyer who steps out from the dark closet of our minds pleading, my client is not so bad. If we keep defending our sin... We will never become usable by God and will fail miserably in spiritual warfare. How many knows everybody's got a sinful nature? And that, that little voice of pride within is, is that part of that sinful nature and it's trying to defend where you are. But we want to go deeper in Christ, don't we? I believe that as God is sending revival to America and Dallas is becoming, it's going to become a hub of a major, major move of God. God, I've never seen this. I've read about it in church history. I've never seen God preparing people so much. There's, there's been a great shaking. Some people are, you know, it's as though they haven't surrendered, so they're being kind of moved to the side. The Lord's still going to use them. But, but it's, there's, there's a shaking. God's dealing with deep stuff. God's preparing people. And he's aligning people, he's forming networks, he's, he's dealing with sin. He's doing all this because there's a great move of God that's coming to our nation and to our region. And he's wanting to prepare us. And I really believe this. I believe within the sound of my voice, God has brought people in that God is wanting to equip and empower you for something significant down the road. And it's already begun. But to go deeper in Christ, the first major battleground is the battleground within yourself. I'm going to skip ahead about this, but I want to share this. You know, so anyway, some of you guys have met one of our dogs by the name of Bella. Now, just keep her in prayer, you know, but anyway, she's interesting. No, I'm kidding. She's a good dog, just really high strung and runs circles, things like that, really, you know, hyper... But anyway, one night she was really growling and barking. I was like, what in the world? You know, she's, you know, and barking. And, 
And I knew nothing was going on for her to be doing that. And sure enough, I look over there, and she had saw her reflection <laughs> in the patio door, and she was really going at it, you know. Of course, that's hysterical. That's the time you break out your iPhone, you take a video, you know, and all that. But the point is, is this. You look at that and go, how ridiculous that an animal is just fighting the reflection of itself. But what you've got to understand is, the greatest, please hear this, the greatest battle that all of us face is really the reflection of ourselves. It's the old us dying so the new Christ us can come forth. That's the greatest battle right there is the reflection of ourselves. So number one is we know about the renewing of the mind. I've preached on that so much I don't want to bog down on it, but it's so important to throw out the old way of thinking. You know, when you change a baby's diaper, you don't leave the old diaper on and then just put a new one on it. I'm sure somebody's tried that and thought, well, I'll just cover it up, but it don't work. You have to take the old diaper off, clean the old off, and put on the new. That's why the Bible says to put off the old man and put on the new. A lot of that has to do with our thinking. This is the truth. Many people believe they think of themselves and they see themselves as, well, God can use so-and-so but not me. And they see themselves, they have maybe a, a poverty mentality, they feel like they're a loser. They feel like they're nobody. How could God use me? And all these negative things. And those very things hold people back. It's a hindrance. But here's the most important thing so that you don't get in pride is that whenever you take out the old way of thinking that you replace it with Scripture and not a prideful way of thinking. For example, somebody feels like a loser and that God can never use me. But you've got to understand... Of course you're not worthy to be used of God. Nobody is. Nobody's even worthy to be saved. So you take off that old way of thinking saying, well, God could never use me. Don't take all that off and you put on the scriptures that says I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And the Lord, if the Lord has called me, you know, he's going to use me. And you start going through all these different places in the Bible where it talks about that. And put on the new way of thinking according to the word of God. For example... That we're the righteousness of God in Christ. It's not your own self-righteousness. But it's that you're washed in the blood. And it's the righteousness of God in Christ. So you're made holy by the blood. And once you replace the old stinking way of thinking. With a new scriptural way of thinking. It produces humility. And it produces faith. Are you guys hearing me? It produces humility and faith. So when you throw out the old way of thinking, don't start thinking of yourself like, oh, I'm this great person, I can do anything, and it's, in, it's of yourself. No, 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 that begins to move into pride. Put on the scriptures. See, God has always delighted in taking the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. He has always delighted in taking flawed vessels and using them for great things. And I feel that in the days to come, people are going to have to deal with these areas within your mind that are defeated for God to use you. I really feel that. Some people have a poverty mentality and they always see themselves like a second class citizen. 
they see themselves as somebody that I don't deserve to have um, anything, God's blessing, nice things, good friends, good relationships, a good job, whatever. They just see themselves always in a negative light. That's a poverty mentality. It's a defeated mentality. And that's going to have to be taken out and replaced with what the Bible says. Of course, we don't deserve to be blessed, but because Jesus hung on the cross and redeemed us from the curse of the law, then blessings come because of him. And when you understand that the only reason that you're victorious and the promises of God, the blessings of God are in your life is because of him, it doesn't produce pride, it produces faith. So the first thing in battling the reflection of yourself, a death of the old and moving into the new, is you've got to deal with this wrong way of thinking. What are you called to do? See, we should think, we should pray big, and we should believe big. David, let me give you a quick thing, I'm going to move off this, but King David, you know, there was a time when nobody saw anything in him. When Samuel showed up to anoint the next king, he was the last one that they ever would have thought. Think about that. In his whole family, his dad didn't see the potential, his brothers sure didn't, and he, he was the last one. But see, God saw something in him that nobody else saw. And even though he was seen that way, <clears throat> God still raised him up and used him in an awesome way. But David could have sat back and could have listened to those voices that were negative about him and he could have formulated something in his mind about himself like, I'm not king material I'm nothing, just God needs to use somebody else. How could God use it? He could have, if he would have listened to the way other people thought of him. But David didn't allow other people's opinion and the fact they didn't see potential in him to affect his thinking. He began to see himself as a king. And whenever he stood before King Saul and the whole situation with Goliath came up, his own brother was was really coming down on David saying, who do you think you are? You're just an arrogant little brat. You brought us some cheese to eat. You need to go back home and watch those couple little sheep. That you, you see what I'm saying? It was like if he would have listened to other people speak to him and got that in his mind, they would have never been a Goliath's head cut off that day. But instead of listening to other people, he went back to remembering the victories God gave him because while he was being faithful out there in the fields as a nobody... He was out there worshiping God with his harp. He would pray. He was being faithful and loyal to his dad, watching over his sheep. And he remembered that there was a time that a lion showed up, and God gave him the victory over that lion. He killed it. Now, I don't know if you guys have ever been around. You ever been to the zoo, and you stood beside the lion cage? How would you like to take one on by yourself and kill it? I mean, people a lot of times just read over that, but these things are like 500 pounds. They're like this tall, okay? They're huge. And David literally killed the lion, and also there was a bear that came. You guys ever seen a bear? When they stand up, it's kind of like this. You look up at the bear, you know? But he killed the lion and the bear. And when he stood before King Saul, instead of remembering the fact that, well, my dad didn't see any potential, my brothers didn't, my brother just... You know, gripe me out, said I was a nobody and I need to go home. But instead of thinking all that, this is what he thought. He said, you know what, King Saul? I remember the lion and I remember the bear that God gave me victory then. And this giant's not going to be any different. 
I'm going to take him down. See, he saw himself. That's important. He saw himself the way that God saw him. He saw himself as a giant killer. And it wasn't because of his own righteousness. You didn't hear David saying, I'm this great man of prayer. You know, Samuel said about me, I'm a man after God's own heart. He wasn't boasting in himself. He was boasting in the Lord. He said, the Lord will give me the victory today. The Lord has anointed me, and God's going to help me take down this giant. See what I mean? He put the, the boasting in the Lord, not in himself. So what I'm saying is, as you're renewing your thinking, don't put anything in yourself, because there's no confidence we can have in the flesh. But put it in the cross. Put it in the Holy Spirit who's with you, and it will produce true faith. The second thing I want to talk about is the death of Mr. Me. Yeah. We've got to die to ourselves completely. Some people die down to a point, and there's a little bit of Mr. Me that's still there, and it needs to die. It's kind of like a glass of water. The less water that's in there, the more air fills that space. There needs to be a complete, total death of us so that it can be full of Christ completely. Did you know that Satan feeds on the dust? It was interesting when you look at Adam and Eve and that whole scenario of where Eve was deceived and they fell. What was Adam and Eve created out of? The dust of the ground. And that's where that flesh is where your sinful nature is. And when Adam and Eve fell and God, you know, cursed the serpent, he said, you're going to crawl on your belly and what, you're going to eat dust. See, it's as though Satan feeds on the sinful nature in people. The more that sinful nature is at work in somebody's life, the more the devil is feasting on their life. But the more that you're dead to that old sinful nature, the more alive in Christ you are, the less the enemy has to feed on. God took Moses out of Egypt. Remember, he killed that guy. He fled into the wilderness. God brought Moses out. He ended up having to go to the backside of a desert for 40 years now. And he was out there for all those years. And he sat under the ministry of his father-in-law, who was a priest, married one of his daughters. And he was out there all those years. You know, here's, here's the point of that story right there. God took Moses out of Egypt, but it took all of that time to get Egypt out of Moses. After God got all of Egypt out of Moses, then God could send Moses back to deliver everybody else. That was good. See, people get saved, and they're like, Lord, use me now, and the Lord wants to use you now, but he's got to put you on the backside of a desert somewhere and get all of your past, all of the world, all the old stuff out of you so that you're usable. And most of the time, people think they're ready way before they are. They don't see the reflection of themselves the way they need to, and they don't realize there's still a lot of death of Mr. Me that needs to go on. The righteous stronghold of humility, number three. We have got to be brought down to a place to where there's real true humility. Humility is boasting in the Lord. Humility is, is understanding that it's not false humility. False humility is where people are all down on themselves and they act all, you know, I'm nothing and nobody and all. That's a false humility. False humility is, is well, I don't, I don't deserve to have anything and they, and they, 
they go around and and where they could afford to to dress a little nicer they they dress really down they and they're they're always carrying themselves down defeated and shine and and just insecure and beat down that's false humility true humility produces boldness and you understand that it's nothing of me it's everything of him true humility will cause somebody to step out in boldness and pray for the sick and they're healed but then they'll defer the glory to christ every time true humility will step out in boldness and faith and drive out a demon spirit but give the glory to god you see the difference true humility somebody that's really walking in humility will be bold and confident but they'll always defer every all the glory to christ it's not me don't look to me evan roberts had the wisdom there was a story some of you guys have read this there was a story in the wells revival where god began to move really powerfully and the services were going long. And Evan Roberts' mother left a service really early. It was just going a long time. She left early. She got back to the house, and God convicted her about it. Now, this was just a, a conviction of the Lord to her, okay? But God convicted her about it because he wanted her to obviously still be there. Now, I want you to please catch this. This is so powerful if you can catch this. She began to weep. And really get upset because the Holy Spirit was convicting her. And whenever she was sharing this with her son, Evan Roberts, instead of him doing what a lot of people would do, he actually knelt down with her and helped her pray and get it right with God. You know what most people would do? They'd go, ah, oh, don't worry about it. It's no big deal. Obviously, to God, it was a big deal. Most people miss God about things like that. God will be dealing with them about something and they'll listen to somebody that's going, oh, it's not a big deal. Let it go. But Evan Roberts had the wisdom of the Holy Spirit and the sensitivity to the Holy Spirit to not justify sin. And if God was dealing with somebody about something, to them, that was a problem. It may not have been to somebody else, but it was to them. And he had the wisdom and the humility to kneel down and help them pray and get things right with God. And here's another scenario. Are things hindering us today, are they the reaping of the decisions and the sins of yesterday? Some people are their own worst enemy. The Bible says that we reap what we sow. There's a friend of mine here that was telling me about someone he was trying to help. This particular person was homeless, and he had gotten him a place to stay. And... It was, it was inexpensive. He could easily afford it. He helped him get a job. He was doing good. This was through the church, and so they were trying to minister to him about the Lord as well. This guy decided, he met some girl. He decided he wanted to move out of that house and go live with the girl. So automatically you have a sinful situation there, but nonetheless he left the house that somebody had helped him get. He starts living with the girl. He ends up now losing his ride to work which resulted in him losing his job now once this happened there i guess there was a series of events he was home too much the girl got tired of him i don't know but they broke up and now he's back homeless again now listen he was telling my friend who had helped him with all this through the church he was telling him saying i wonder what god's trying to teach me 
as if God did all that. And my friend was like, listen, man, God ain't trying to teach you anything. God didn't do this. You did this to yourself. How many times people do things and they reap the consequences and then they blame God? Did you know that if you'll start doing right today and really living for the Lord and sowing righteousness and things in your life that you should be sowing, that in the future you'll reap that harvest? But a lot of times people are frustrated because they're still reaping the harvest of their past foolishness and they're upset with God. But the Bible says whatever you sow, you reap. Let the reaping get through and then start sowing things that are right. And you'll reap the benefit of that in the future. This all has to do with the death, death of Mr. Me. The renewing of the mind. And let me give you another warning. Don't get too focused on the enemy, but stay focused on Christ. I understand we do need to know what the devil's up to. We do. We do need to, to discern that. The Bible says we do. The Apostle Paul said, I'm not ignorant of Satan's devices, all of that. I know. But don't get your focus on the enemies. Too many people do that. Did you know when you start staring at the devil and his kingdom and you get your focus totally on him, all of a sudden he starts amplifying and looking too powerful. You need to keep your focus on Christ. Whatever you're staring at is going to start changing you. You know, Lot, it's said in the Bible that Lot and his family, they pitched their tents toward Sodom. So they were looking at Sodom. Then as you keep reading the Bible, next thing you know, they're at the gate. Next thing you know, they're living in it. Why? Because what you look at, you start becoming. So just because you need to know what's going on, don't get your focus on the things of the enemy. Keep your focus on Christ. Behold Him. Let me give you a few things to think about. You know, Peter, I'm sure that all the disciples... And all of us, we love you guys live streaming, but you guys too. And those that are watching this or listening to this, you too. All of us have had a pride issue at some point in our lives to some degree. But Peter did have a little bit of a pride issue. Do you remember that there was times that him and the other disciples would all start fighting amongst each other about who's the greatest? That's a pride issue, friend. And I'm sure there were times that Peter won that argument by saying, I walked on the water. <laughs> what could they say, you know? <laughs> anyway, Peter probably, by all indications, he had a little bit of a pride issue, just like we all have had. But after going through the fall that he went through, he was not afraid. He, he was not at all afraid. But as he denied the Lord and as he backslid, and cussed and denied the Lord and went away from God. The Lord had to restore him. But listen, God used all of that. Remember Jesus said to Peter, he said, get behind me, Satan, you know. And he said, Satan has sought to sift you like wheat. After Peter went through the sifting of what I'm talking about, where he fell into sin and God had to sift him through that, it was, I'm sure, a very painful experience. It says he wept bitterly. He was broken. But on the other side of that process, he denied the Lord three times. Jesus restored him three times on the beach whenever he said, do you love me? I know you know the story. But I want you to notice on the day of Pentecost when he preached, after that he went out and he reached down to a crippled man 
grabbed him at the gate beautiful, picked him up, and the man was completely healed. But look at Peter's response. All these people were amazed because they knew this guy. Here this guy is running around dancing, you know, and excited because he's healed. And Peter and John are standing there because they just prayed for the guy. And people start looking at them. Oh, you know, and listen to what Peter said. Why do you gaze at us as if by our own power or piety we made this man walk? He deferred all the glory to Christ. At that point in time, he no longer was arguing with John. I'm the greatest, John. I just grabbed the crippled man and picked him up. I am the greatest. Look, at He wasn't doing that anymore. Now, he had humbled, God had broken him, and now he was humble saying, don't look at me like I did anything. Get your eyes on Jesus. Okay? So in all of us, pride is the first stronghold that must come down. The death of Mr. Me. I believe in every human being as a sinful nature we inherited from Adam and Eve the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. The lust of the flesh is that your body, the sinful nature, craves things that it shouldn't crave. The lust of the eyes, that your eyes are going toward things they shouldn't be going to, but also pride, the pride of life. I mentioned this last week, but when Jesus was tempted by the devil, he faced all three of those things in one by quoting the word. I'm going to give you a few things about this. When Satan came to Eve, I want you to learn from this story. I'm sure that the devil did not tempt Eve with food right after she ate, so I'm sure that she was hungry. I mean, that should be common sense there. So the devil came to Eve most likely when he knew that she ate every day and she'd be hungry. And he was tempting her with this food she wasn't supposed to eat. But here's what the devil did. She was hungry, so that's the lust of the flesh. He showed it to her, and she saw that it was good for food. That's the lust of the eyes. And he said to her, if you eat this, you'll be like God, the pride of life. She fell for it. She ate it. Now, let's fast forward. Jesus comes on the scene. He's fasted 40 days. He's hungry. And God the Father had already spoke to him in front of everybody there. You are my son in whom I will please. The devil comes in. First thing he does is if you are the son of God. What was I talking about earlier? You cannot go by what the devil is trying to tell your head and you can't go by what other people's criticisms about you. You've got to stick with, with the word of God. God the Father spoke over Jesus. You are my son. And then the devil comes up and challenges that. If you're the son of God. He said, you'll turn this stone into bread because I know you're hungry. What does Jesus do? He quotes the Bible. Man shall not live by bread alone. Now, interesting about Eve, that Satan came to Eve and said, that God really say that you cannot eat this fruit? And she said, not only did he say that, but also that we can't touch it. God never said anything about touching it. I'm trying to show you that she didn't know. Now, how would you like to live in such an innocent age that the only Bible that you had to memorize was don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The day you eat of it, you shall surely die. That's their Bible. That's the word of God as far as keeping the commandments of God. That's their Bible. But Eve did not really know that. She misquoted it and said, we, we won't eat it and we're not supposed to touch it either. But God never said that. That was probably her husband that said that. Don't eat it. Don't touch it. Just stay away from it. 
Why is that important? Because if you don't know the word for yourself, the devil will try to come in and deceive you. And what did Jesus do when the devil came? Jesus didn't say to the devil, I'm the son of God, back off. He could have. No, he just simply humbled himself and said, this is what the Bible says. Man shall not eat by bread alone. And he quoted the Bible. Then Satan takes Jesus up and shows him the kingdoms of the world and says, I can give you these kingdoms. The lust of the eyes. And Satan tempted Jesus and said, if you'll throw yourself down, the Bible says God will bury you up in, in the angels will bury you up in their hands. And Satan quoted the Bible to Jesus. He kind of saw where Jesus was going. Jesus kept quoting the Bible at him. So the devil said, well, I'll try this. And so he says, you know what, here's the highest pinnacle. If you jump off this, then God will send his angels and bear you up. That's the pride of life. It's tempting God. And Jesus overcame the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, because Satan showed him all the kingdoms and said, I'll give you these if you'll worship me, the lust of the eyes. And he, Jesus looked and said, no, we'll only worship the Lord your God only, and quoted the Bible at him. So Jesus overcame every place Eve did. There was nothing in Jesus. But how many of us can say that throughout our Christian lives there's been plenty in us that the devil's been able to mess with? But the Lord is wanting to purify us so deeply that we also can be able to say, I sense that the devil's coming, but now because of Christ in me that there's such a death to self, I know that he no longer can manipulate my life like he used to. See, used to, when somebody first got saved, Maybe they had an alcohol problem. That was something when I first got saved that, you know, I'd come out of a lot of alcohol. And I had to separate myself from that. I would avoid it. Now somebody can wave it from me. I don't give a rip anymore. But used to, when I was first saved, that, was, that would tempt me. You see what I'm saying? But God began to get that out and purify that out of me to now where somebody can wave that from me. It's no big deal. I don't care for it. God has to do that. It's the death of Mr. Me. It's the more the Lord can get that out, the less of a hold Satan has. Let me read you this. We may not want to hear this, but many of the current battles and spiritual conflict is not going to cease fully until the character of the Lord is developed within us. Let me read that again. We may not want to hear this, but many of the current battles and spiritual conflict is not going to cease fully until the character of the Lord Jesus is developed in us because that is what God is doing. He's trying to develop Christ in us. So the greatest battle, number one, is the death of Mr. Me. It is the battleground within you that God can pull out of you all the stuff that needs to go. All the pride or the false humility, which is pride. All of the junk, the worldliness, all the stuff from your past. You know, from the time we're a little child, we're told so many things. Parents that, that let their kids watch anything, listen to anything. They, they would, parents would tell their kids all kinds of crazy stuff. I've had people tell me, my parents told me this, and I thought, what in the world? You know, and that little bitty kid, I, one lady one time sang some creepy nursery rhyme or something, and I was like, it sounded like something, it sounded like something like in a scary movie. And I'm like, your mom used to sing that to you? 
all the stuff that parents parents put into their kids that's a bunch of weirdness that they got, I guess, from their parents. And then all the all the world's influence, all the junk people watch, all the stuff they hear, their, their friends that tell them their philosophies on life, you know, and all this stuff. And here's what it is. It's like molten lava that is poured down into your soul area and then it cools off and hardens and it starts becoming what you are. And whenever you get saved, God has got to get you in the Word and get you in the power of the Holy Spirit and get you in a church somewhere. And He begins to get out His chisel and He begins to chip out of you all that junk that was poured into you through life. So it's so important when you have kids to be selective about who they hang out with and what they're doing and what they're watching, what they're listening to. Because you'd be surprised how much that pollution, just being around stuff, how much that pollution can affect you. But once God has conquered stuff within you, the next battleground area is within the church realm, the body of Christ. Satan's goal is to divide and conquer. It's so important that we're seeking unity. Sometimes seeking unity, I hope you hear this, sometimes seeking unity is that you're forced to separate yourself from divisive people. Hello? Sometimes seeking unity in the body of Christ is that you love Jesus so much that you have to distance yourself from these gossips and slanders and troublemakers. But Satan's goal is to divide and conquer. I talked to you about Satan as a tempter. Let me tell you something. Satan is a master deceiver. And the horrible thing about deception is, is when somebody is deceived, I'm telling you black is white, white is black, they are right, you are wrong, but the whole time they're wrong. And they are totally deceived. And they think that they're right, everybody else is wrong, I'm right, you're wrong. To them, black is white, white is black. They're deceived. It's going to take God pulling that off them so that they can see. But also, this is what I want to go into is the accuser of the brethren. If you want to write down a few things, I'm going to tell you this is something to jot down. But Satan in Revelation is revealed as the accuser of the brethren. It says the accuser of the brethren be cast down. The accuser of the brethren is a manifestation of Satan's kingdom that comes through that whole thing with Leviathan, that pride. It's criticism. Some people, they can't help but be critical of others. But let me show you something about the accuser. The accuser of the brethren, Satan comes to people as a tempter, he comes as a deceiver, and he also comes as an accuser. You can start overcoming temptation as you develop a prayer life, and God will help you, that's really not that strong of an attack. Deception is a lot stronger attack. The way you overcome deception is you have a strong prayer life, you stay close to Jesus, you know the Bible, but you also listen to godly people that God's put in your life. That's important. Because everybody sometimes gets a little off in their thinking, if you're humble... And you've got people in your life that are godly Christians. They'll tell you, well, I don't know about that. And if you'll listen to them, it'll keep you on course. But when the accuser of the brethren comes, this is a major attack of the devil. Number one, he will start accusing you to yourself. And he'll start trying to make you feel like a piece of trash that'll never amount to anything. 
the accuser of the brethren comes to you and tries to bring up your past sins. Remember this. If you ever pray and you really ask God's forgiveness about something in your past, don't ever bring it up again. It's under the blood. And anything that will bring that up to you is of the devil. God will never do it. If a person brings it up to you, they're being used of the, of the devil specifically as an accuser. Number one. So you've got to see yourself washed in the blood and holy and forgiven. And the, you need to bind that. If the enemy keeps messing with your heads, I bind you get out of here in Jesus' name and start quoting Scripture. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. The second way the accuser will try to attack you is to accuse God to you. Negative things happen that the devil did in your life. Negative things happen. And the enemy starts accusing God in your mind going, if God was really who he says he is, this wouldn't have happened. Why can't God take good care of you? And if you listen to that and you let the accuser in your life, that is a dangerous place to be. You cannot listen to the accuser because the devil will come in and he will cause those things to happen and then blame God. In your mind, he'll tell you how God let that happen or God did that or God's trying to teach you something. Or, you know, and people get offended with God because of the accuser. Don't let the enemy mess with your head and turn you against God. There's going to be things that happen, but the devil's come to steal, kill, and destroy. Christ came that we may, we may have life and have it more abundant. Another way the accuser will come is by accusing other people to you. You'll be sitting there, and all of a sudden you start getting irritated with somebody like, what are they looking at? You know, why, why are they looking at me like that? You guys know what I'm talking about. That's why you're laughing. And you're sitting there, all of a sudden there'll be somebody across church, and they're not even doing anything. They're just kind of just sitting there, just minding their own business, and they're, they're listening to the sermon, but you know how it is. They're thinking about something else, too, and they're, and they're just minding their own business. And the last thing on their mind is you. And then you're, But you're sitting there looking out of the corner of your eye, and I'm going, they got a problem with me. I know when I came in today, you know, they were looking at me all weird. And that's the accuser messing with your head. And if you let it keep going on, pretty soon you got an offense with somebody who never even did anything. And they'll come into church next week, and you're giving them the cold shoulder, and, they're, and, then, and then the accuser starts working on them, and they're over there. What are they looking at? What's their problem? And pretty soon, pretty soon, you, the enemy has managed to get two Christians mad at each other for no reason. And the pastor is having to counsel him. And it's kind of like, well, what are you mad about? I don't even know anymore. It's just nobody knows. That's the accuser. It, would, it is funny, and it would be funny if it didn't happen all the time and all this stuff go on in the body of Christ. That's why it's so important to not let stuff get to you. Just realize it's the accuser and, and go talk to somebody. If you think somebody's upset with you or whatever, I had a friend of mine. And uh, this is a good example. I had a friend of mine that I tried to get a hold of this brother for months. And I really thought, man, I guess I did something to tick him off, offend him. What did I do? And I'm sitting there racking my brain. <laughs> Finally, I, I was able to get a hold of somebody else and tell him, I've been trying to get a hold of so-and-so. Because I wanted to make sure if I did something, I wanted to apologize. But I had no idea what I did. Anyway, he calls me. Oh, brother, I got a different phone. <laughs> well, think about it. What if I had settled in my mind? He has a problem with me. And I got mad at him, 
and I got offended. Next time he sees me, I got an offense with him. He didn't even do any. Well, he didn't call me, you know, for a couple months. But, but you don't let stuff get to you. Do you see what I'm saying? And once he told me that, I started laughing. I told him, well, I thought maybe I'd done something. Then he started laughing. There, there we go. We're fine. You've got to be, be aware of this because it's actually very serious. Because when, when that thing, I'm being serious, when that thing shows up like Leviathan stuff and the accuser starts attacking a church, at those times it's not funny. And people really are getting irritated with one another for no reason. And they're getting irritated with the pastor. They get irritated with leadership. And, and there's just this strife that tries to come in. And you, we've got to be aware of it and rebuke it and, and not give in to that because the enemy wants to divide. And another way that Satan comes is the accuser. We all know this reading the Bible, the book of Job, is that Satan will actually try to accuse you to, uh, yeah, accuse you to God. You know, and say, look at what your kids are doing. They're doing this, 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 and this. But how many knows that whenever you come under the blood, that's why it's so important to be quick to repent and get things under the blood. Because it silences the accuser before God. Satan can go to God and say, well, look at what your kids did and bring up all their past. But if you've already prayed about it in the blood, God's going to go, I don't know what you're talking about, get out of here. But if you haven't dealt with it, then that's a different story because that may open a door for an attack. So be quick to repent, be quick to deal with things, to get things that are in the blood, but discern that Satan's goal is to divide. Why? Because Jesus said in Luke eleven seventeen, he said, Every kingdom divided, divided against itself is brought to desolation, and a house divided against itself cannot stand. Satan knows that as long as the people of God are divided, they won't be able to accomplish anything for God, and they cannot stand. They won't have strength. So one of our number one goals needs to be to seek unity with other Christians at all costs. I mean, do everything that you can within your power, understanding, though, that sometimes seeking unity means that you do have to pull back away from certain people that are divisive and troubled. Strongholds in the spirit realm are established in the natural. It would be like a castle, but it's an established empowerment of the enemy, a structure that Satan's kingdom has set up. And it's established because of sin over a period of time. But strongholds are made up of thoughts. Let me show you something. In 2 Corinthians 10.4, 10, it says, The weapons we fight with are not weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish what? Arguments. And every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. So it's saying the weapons that we fight with are spiritual weapons. You know, if the enemy shows up, you're not going to be able to break out like a knife, pull out a gun, and shoot these things. It's not going to do any good. You have to use spiritual weapons. How funny that would be. You know, somebody's just shooting off in the air, you know. And it's... But if you use spiritual weapons, you use the Word of God, you use your authority, the power of the Holy Spirit, it will break the enemy and drive him back. But the great battle a lot of times is over strongholds, which is a house of thoughts, a house built like bricks, a house built of thoughts in your mind. Once somebody accepts something as truth and they believe it, then it can, if it's not truth, it can become a stronghold. 
and the enemy traffics through strongholds. Let me give you an example. There are whole denominations that have strongholds in their teaching because they believe pet doctrines that are not even true. And they've got hundreds of thousands of people that are in bondage to this stronghold. I'll give you an example. There's people that believe things about doctrine that is actually against the Holy Spirit. Whole denominations, hundreds of thousands of people that have teachings, established doctrine that they believe that is against the Holy Spirit. And they teach their people that if somebody speaks in tongues that's a demon, run to the hills. That's what they say. And, yeah, and they think, you know, all of a sudden everybody's afraid and they're teaching their people against the Holy Spirit. And so what happens? It's a stronghold. It's something that they believe. And as soon as they're around the Holy Spirit, they run. There's people that have taught strongholds in denominations against the healing ministry, against revival, against the manifestations of the Holy Spirit. People have taught that the different manifestations of the Holy Spirit are demonic. How ridiculous, but that's what they believe. One of the great strongholds is that they don't believe that Christians can be in any need of deliverance. And that's sad because then you've got hundreds of thousands of people in all these denominations that accept that teaching that are in bondage in areas that they could be free. I wish it were true that once you get saved, you live in a little bubble and nothing can happen. But it's not the truth. To say, well, you know, the blood and all this. Understand that, listen, Jesus did pay for our deliverance at the cross. Amen. Amen. But he also paid for our healing. Have you ever known somebody who's a Christian that was sick and needed to be healed? It's, it's things that Jesus paid for, but you've got to press in to take it by faith. Amen. This is good. Another thing, 2 Corinthians 3.18. says, we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed into His likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So, by beholding the Lord, by looking to Jesus, and not focusing on the devil, not focusing on other things, you can get too focused on the world. You know, if you're not careful, you can get too, too much worldly entertainment. You can get too much time with friends and different things. You've got to spend time with the Lord and, and, and look to Him. But by beholding Him, it's as though veils of deception are being removed out of your life. And you can see Him more clearly, and you can see things more clearly, spiritually speaking. Everybody has levels of deception in their life that God needs to remove. Amen? This is just the truth. You get saved, you think all these different things, and God gradually changes you and helps you see that you need to think all these other things the Bible says over here. But it's as though you spend time with the Lord and with unveiled faces you reflect His glory. Why? Because He's removing these veils of deception off your life so that you can see Him more clearly and you can see more clearly what He's trying to show you. But you've got to behold the Lord and stay focused on Him. One of the, This is something I always love, this analogy, but there's the eagle has an enemy. I can't remember what the bird is. What is the bird that's the enemy of the eagle that tries to kill it? Do you guys remember? I don't remember. Anyway, these, these, they will gather and they'll come after the eagle. But you know how the eagle gets away from it? The eagle will actually soar directly into the sun because an eagle's able to look straight into the sun and it not hurt its eyes and it will go right directly into the sun. And those other birds, 
that are natural predators of the eagle, they'll, they come in large numbers. They'll try to follow the eagle, but they get blinded by the sun and they get off track. It doesn't take a lot to spiritualize that. As a Christian, if you'll stay focused on Jesus and press into him, the enemy starts getting blinded by it and confused. This is kind of what I wanted to end with because this is what I'm talking about, about going deeper in Christ. The Bible says in Matthew 24, 12, because wickedness increases, most people's love will grow cold. Now listen, this is talking about the last days. This is important scripture. Jesus said because of the increase of wickedness, most people's love. Everybody say most. Now think about that for a minute. Jesus said most people. That means there's going to be a small amount that don't have this happen to them. Most people, it says their love will grow cold. Why do people's love grow cold? And what does that mean? People's love grows cold toward the Lord. Is there a time in your life where you were more on fire, closer to the Lord, that there was something there, and, and all of a sudden now it seems like it's cold? Could it be that your love has grown cold toward the Lord? What about people? There was a time that you had a deep love for people. But because of all the betrayals and all the stuff that's gone on in life, you find yourself now kind of cold toward people and a little bit distant. This is easy to happen. We can find ourselves in a place where our love starts growing cold and not even realizing it. It's a stronghold of cold love. There was a time that maybe you had a real burden for the lost, that you would think about people that weren't saved and it would make you want to cry. You would pray for people that you worked with and now it seems like it doesn't really bother you anymore. Just kind of indifferent about it. There was a time that you were passionate for revival. You wanted to see God pour out His Spirit. You wanted to be a part of a move of God. But now it seems like, well, you know, whatever. It's as though the love has grown cold. I believe God's going to really heal some people about this. There was a story that I was, well, there was a show actually that was called um, The Locator. And it was an interesting show. I don't know if you guys have ever seen it. But this guy named Troy Dunn, he, he would actually help people find long lost relatives or whatever that, and there were several shows, but I watched this. It was really neat because there was a, there was a, there was two different stories. There was a man who had gotten cancer, and he was, he was dying. I mean, he was terminally ill, and it was stage four, which means that he's, he's dying, okay? It's very serious. So he contacts Troy Dunn, and he wants him to go help him find his son, who he hasn't seen for many, many years. A very estranged relationship, and this was a deep wound in this man. And he wanted to make things right. He wanted to reconcile before he died. So Troy goes out, they have all the equipment, they find the son, bring him. As they reconcile, the dad is weeping and hugging him and all this. After that happened, it was reported that the cancer began to go into remission. Okay, that's one example. And then I'm watching this show and I'm thinking about, okay, that, that was interesting. And then I was watching this show and there was, another, there was another story that was similar. There was a lady who, again, was dying. She was terminal 
with cancer stage four, very similar, but she was looking for a daughter. And he went out and found the daughter. Same scenario. They, they reconciled. The woman was just bawling, just weeping. And she wanted to make things right before she died. And there was such a healing that happened in her emotionally through the reconciliation. Again, it said after the show, it tells what they're doing. It said that the cancer went into remission. Now, this is interesting because these are not Christian people. And this is not a Christian show. And so you're sitting there going, well, what happened? And the Bible says in Proverbs that a merry heart do, does good like medicine, but it says a broken spirit dries the bones. That means if you have a broken heart, a broken spirit, it can, it can cause health problems. Are you hearing me? And that's why we need to be quick to forgive and let the Lord heal us because the Lord gave me a word at the beginning of this year. I don't know if some of you guys remember it, but he told me, he said, I'm going to bind up and heal the brokenhearted. And this will result in their immune system fighting off things that it's supposed to fight off. And some areas that were chronic are just going to disappear like you're getting over a cold. Some of you were here when I gave that word. So there's something about God healing us emotionally that strengthens the immune system and brings about physical healing. But some people have been so beat up by life that without meaning to, they've been so wounded by people, they've been so wounded by life, they've been feel like they've been chewed up and spit out, that their love has grown cold toward the Lord and the people and they don't mean to but it's just all the wounds. I'm telling you, God's about to start healing people emotionally. And then what's going to happen is, is as he heals you, his perfect love is going to start pouring in. Now, the, the love of God, the Bible says it's a perfect love. And when his love pours in you, it brings healing. And then it causes you that all that fear begins to leave because perfect love drives out fear to where now you can love, you can be close to people again. Because when people get beat up in life and wounded, they automatically begin to kind of just distance themselves some until that stuff's taken care of. You know what I mean? But as God pours in his perfect love and heals you, then the walls start coming down and the fear begins to subside. Perfect love drives out fear. It's so important in life that you're quick to forgive other people and let the Lord heal you. Don't try to be too tough about it. Some people are like that. They're just, oh, I don't want to appear weak and all this stuff. Don't try to be so tough about everything that you can't humble yourself and come down to an altar if you need healing and get healed. Amen? We have to fight for these things in the spirit realm for the body of Christ. The Lord is wanting us to fight against the enemy for unity, integrity, and the great commission to be fulfilled. And let me close out with a few thoughts. True discernment is not critical and suspicious. True discernment is something where God helps you to see what's really going on. I've learned from experience that a lot of times people don't, they're not receptive to what's going on. Okay, so don't, don't tell them. But just, if you discern what's going on, it's not right. True discernment will cause you to love and pray for them. Not be critical of them. This is where the accuser of the brethren comes in. You have to say, well, the Bible says in the last days the accuser of the brethren be cast down. You know what I believe? A lot of people without meaning to 
they've been hurt so deeply and it's real. I mean, they've been betrayed, beat up by people. Without meaning to, they may be taking it to God in a way of accusing those people. As opposed to interceding for them. See, Satan is already accusing them. The last thing you want to do is start being the devil's prayer partner and, uh, amen, and joining hands with him and accusing them. What you need to be doing is, Father, I forgive them, I let it go, but Lord, do a work in their life. Bring healing. Minister to them. Remove that stuff that needs to go out of their life and, you know, use them. And, and let the Lord pour his love into you and heal you. But it takes sometimes it takes time. I love John Bevere was showing an example about he was preaching a sermon called the bait, yeah, the bait of Satan, and he was talking about he had some big old guy come up on stage, and he surprised this guy. Of course, this guy's huge, but he surprised him and turned and just pushed him real hard, and the guy was kind of like this. He goes, well, did that hurt you? And the guy's like, well, not really, you know. He's like, so you'll be fine tomorrow? He said, yeah. And then he picks up a chair and starts to, you know. And, the, and, and John was giving the example. He said, sometimes when you're really hurt, it takes a little time to get healed up. There's a difference. But be careful to not be an accuser about other people. The accuser of the brethren also traffics through gossip. As you know, somebody does something to you and it's wrong, and they may be totally wrong, and and you're hurt, and there's nothing wrong with being hurt. You're hurt. They did you wrong. But now, if you're not careful, you can respond wrong. Responding wrong would be going around gossiping about them. You know what they did to me? That's why the Bible says a bitter root can defile many people because now you're beginning to get bitter and you're, you're, you're spewing that on everybody else, you know, trying to turn everybody else against them. That would be number one wrong way to respond. The second wrong way to respond would be to take that offense to God and start accusing that person, wanting God to judge them. Like, you know, lightning strike them, that type of thing, okay? That's not a right response, and God's not going to do it anyway, so you're wasting your time. But what you need to be doing is forgive the person, don't gossip about them. Forgive them. And then begin to pray for them and bless them, let God heal you, and move on with your life. But if you really pray for them, prayer is so powerful. If you pray and fast and really seek God, prayer is so powerful that it can break something in their life And who knows if one day they don't come to you and apologize. But regardless of whether they do or don't, you're free and you can move on with your life. Healed, blessed. See what I mean? There was a lady that she was on the 700 Club giving her story. And she was out jogging and some guy jumped her and raped her. And it was horrible. And he ended up going to jail. Now, she could hate this person. But she began to really pray. As a Christian, she prayed about forgiving him. And she began to say, I'm going to do what Jesus said do. I'm going to pray for him, and I'm going to bless him. And she found out years later that he actually got saved in prison and was leading Bible studies. Okay, now what if she had hated the person, was accusing him to people and accusing him to God and was never praying for him? He may never have gotten saved. He may have never changed. One day he may get out of prison and do it to somebody else. But because she was willing to be an intercessor and not an accuser, then now he's saved. We've got to be peacemakers. So I hope I made my point about true discernment. True discernment is seeing things the way God sees them, okay? But peacemakers are people that can calm things down. 
You know, if you go into a room and there's already strife, and you go in there and you start fanning that strife, man, there could be pretty soon there's, there's fights, there's bloodshed, but there's got to be people that can go in there and calm things down. Jesus said, I mean, Paul said this, he said, the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet. See, there's something about being a peacemaker that you have peace around you and you bring peace to other people that crushes Satan under your feet. The enemy cannot traffic in peace. He's always trying to stir up conflict. The scattering and dividing of God's sheep has got to stop. I believe with all my heart that in this region, God is taking things now to a place where he's going to start dealing with people that have been scattering the sheep. People that have operated in what we talked about, that religious witchcraft. People that have been a part of that system, that have been that way, if they don't repent, I really believe God's going to start dealing with some things. Let me tell you another way about the accuser. You guys hear these negative prophets and preachers that are always just negative, 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 negative about America and everything else. There is, there's some prophecy that's negative, and that's biblical. But man, if it's always negative, 100% of the time, then it's probably not as much God as it is actually the accuser. And some people, if you listen to them talk about America, there's no grace. I mean, they're just all the time. And America's got some problems, friend, some serious problems. And I, I really should talk about, but I don't want to get off this sermon, about the fact that, you know, Obama's trying to bring in a Secretary of State, or I'm sorry, yeah, Secretary of State that is actually anti-Israel. And if he gets in the office and begins to be anti-Israel, friend, you have no idea what's coming. If that happens, you need to go ahead and start preparing yourself financially and preparing yourself so that whenever these things happen, you're going to be able to be sustained. Okay? But anyway... The scattering and dividing of God's sheep is going to stop. God is judging and cleaning out religion and witchcraft in the church. He is in these last days. And he's going to remove the stumbling blocks. These are people that are constantly stirring up strife and division. He's going to remove them so unity can come. Let me close with this. It's highly significant that the scriptural term for the rapture is called the gathering together. What ultimately will be consummated in our gathering together physically to the Lord will be precipitated by a spiritual gathering together of his body on the earth. So, in other words, before Jesus comes, there's going to be a gathering of his people in unity. Concerning the end of the age, Jesus taught that the good fish will be gathered into containers. In the context of spiritual warfare, Jesus warned, He who does not gather with me scatters. So God is in a process of gathering His people in unity. Those that are not gathering in unity with the Lord are scattering. They're dividing. They're allowing their pet doctrines in their denomination to divide them from other denominations. And God is grieved by it. He's wanting us to begin to come together. This is good. I hope you all are hearing this. So before the Lord comes, God's going to remove these stumbling blocks and He's going to bring unity. But I want to pray tonight. How many of you guys want to go deeper in the Lord? The Lord's going to have to help with some things. He's going to have to bring healing. And He's going to have to start removing that stronghold of cold love. And bring in His perfect love.
The Bible says that in Daniel, it says that Satan is trying to wear out the saints. And you know what he's doing to a lot of preachers? He's causing a betrayal to hit, and then the minister will try to pray about it and get on the other side of it, forgive, but before they can even get healed, another one hits. And then they're trying to get on the other side of that, and then another one hits. And Satan's trying to beat people down so hard that they live in a perpetual state of just surviving as opposed to really being used by God. It's an attack. And he's also trying to wear people down in different ways. But anyway, I'm going to lead you guys in a prayer about this. I'm believing God that any stronghold of cold love is going to come down. And God's going to begin to heal like never before. And I'm telling you this by the Spirit with everything in me. Some of you, it's there. You may not even really realize it. It's there. But God is going to heal some people emotionally. And it's resulting in your physical body beginning to be more healthy. There's something with some people, not everybody, but I'm telling you, some of you, there's emotional wounds that have got to be healed, and then you're going to see physical healing. So everybody, if you would, just close your eyes. If you want to go deeper in Christ, I want you to pray this with me. Jesus, forgive me for any cold love that's been in my life. Where my love has grown cold towards you. And because of things that have happened, my love has grown cold toward people. And Lord, I make a decision right now that I'm going to forgive people that have hurt me which resulted in cold love I forgive them I forgive those that have been accusers against me and forgive me Lord if I've accused others to you or to other people or even within myself. I'm asking you tonight to let your light penetrate every area of my life and drive out the darkness. Let the fire of your Holy Spirit consume my life. I ask you for this. That your fire come into my spirit man, my soul area, and even my body, burning out all the stuff that's not of you. Don't let it remain. And let your perfect love pour into me in every place where I need it bringing healing and wholeness. Bring back the love, the passion, the zeal for you. Restore the joy of my salvation. 
And let your perfect love fill me with love toward people. So much so that I can love my enemies. I can pray for those who have wronged me. I can bless those that have cursed me. And I'm able to be close to people. Let your perfect love fill me tonight to overflowing. And heal any wounds and set me free. I receive it now. I believe it is done. And I thank you, Holy Spirit, for moving right now. Father, I just pray for those within the sound of my voice that if they've had something in their life that's been trying to hinder inner healing, if there's been any tormenting type things, Father, I break that and command it to go right now in Jesus' name out of people's lives. Anything that's been tormenting somebody and trying to hinder their inner healing, right now it goes in Jesus' name. Right now, I break that. And Father, as I'm praying for people within the sound of my voice, I'm asking you that the blood of Jesus right now come over every area of our lives, every area where there's wounds. And Father, let your Holy Spirit just fill and brood over all those areas in us bringing healing and change and cleansing right now. I'm asking you, Father, by your Spirit, let your angels be released that will dismantle and destroy and drive away anything that's trying to hold people back or try to hinder them from going into their purposes. For, Lord, you released a word about angels dismantling structures, and I'm asking you, let it come tonight. Let it be released tonight in these areas right now. Father, as I pray tonight for people, I'm asking you that you would restore the joy of people's salvation. Lord, that you would restore their first love, their passion, their zeal for you. That if, they, if, if their love has grown cold, if something has happened that's caused them to be distant in any way, that maybe they used to have such an awesome prayer life and, it, and, and they were so close to you and they were doing things for your kingdom, but somehow it's like the enemy came in and threw a wet blanket. I'm asking you, Lord, that you would release that fire again. Not only here, but even those that, that couldn't be here tonight. Lord, that you would release it into people's lives, in this ministry, and those that are going to be coming. Lord, release that fire. And Lord, I pray also that wherever there's been a difficulty being close to people and love people and, and, and being, having to keep people at arm's length, and maybe it was necessary for a time until things got healed up, I'm asking you now that that perfect love come in and bring healing so that the fear is driven away and there can be that closeness again tonight. We're asking you to release it in Jesus' name. I believe right now that the Spirit of the Lord is moving on people. I can see that. And I thank you, Lord, for a fresh anointing tonight. Fill people to overflowing. And, Lord, I thank you that we're, coming, we're going deeper in Christ but going into a whole other level, a whole no, another level of your anointing and your glory. 
And I just speak by the Spirit of God, and y'all hear me, I'm saying this prophetically, that the Lord is going to release angels in Jesus' name. He's going to release angels that are going to break this structure that's been coming against people. There's been something in the way of rejection and betrayal, treachery. The enemy's been trying to, to wound people and keep them wounded. And I, I feel the Spirit of the Lord saying that I've seen the injustice, and angels are about to dismantle that structure and break that and drive that away. And there's a breakthrough in this ministry coming with that. There's a breakthrough. Where the enemy has, has brought a lot of things like that in the past to try to keep people wounded. And Lord, I thank you for that. 